Welcome to the Produce Industry Podcast, your weekly download on current events, trends, market reports, and community discussions. Join us each week from Tampa, Florida, as we cover all aspects of the produce supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Patrick Kelly. Hey, produce people, welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kelly, also known as Lil Citrus, coming to you live from Tampa, Florida. Today is January 29th, 2024, and we are the last Monday of January, everyone, getting ready for February. That is leap year this year. Couple announcements before we get started, everyone. We have our virtual networking hour. That's right, February 1st, 2024, just at the end of this week. So please join us, and if not, shoot us an email or contact me on LinkedIn. Also, if you've been following me on LinkedIn, oh my word, what a pod fest, everyone. It was amazing, networking, community, and everything that I'm trying to build for the produce industry all in one place. Now, everyone, I brought my juicer out because as I am in Alabama, I am talking all things citrus, and I am now combining some California navel oranges with some juicy crunch tangerines. That's right, the noble citrus juicy crunch tangerine. We are blending it together. We are seeing how the nuclear orange interacts with our golden star citrus uh, navels. But let me tell you one thing, there are only a few weeks left of the noble juicy crunch tangerines before they are gone for the season. So get your hands on it because 40 years in the making and 60 days for the taking. So have you got them? You know, trust me, you know. Now everyone, for today's featured guest, I went a little outside the box. I got Michelle Perlman, MD. Now she is a gastroenterologist board certified gastroenterologist and specializes in obesity medicine and nutrition gi symptoms are very common so guess what she is all about food is medicine what you put in your body and how to create a better life after you retire we're going to talk about gut health we're going to talk about fresh fruits and vegetables and we're going to talk about how you can implement new diets new procedures and plan, track, and have fun with your food. Now, everyone, let's go ahead and get Dr. Perlman on the line today. Hey, Michelle, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Patrick, so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Listen, I found you on LinkedIn, and I always say LinkedIn is such a powerful place because you can definitely find the people that you're looking for. It is a business platform, and it's just so different from some of the other platforms that are out there. And I think the connections that you can make on LinkedIn are just incredible. And, and that's how we found each other. And we even have a, a mutual, I would say, friend in mind, which is Dino Cardelli, which which was kind of cool, right? Like, I think maybe that's how you started showing up in my feed day after day was, you know, Dina was commenting and I'm like, wait a minute, who is this, you know, Michelle Perlman, Dr. Perlman, right? And then I started just, you know, viewing some of your content and I love what you had going on, right? It, you know, it was all about, you know, it's kind of like produce and food is medicine and, you know, you're a gastroenterologist. So I had to have you on the show because I just thought this could be something dynamic, you know, for the produce industry, which as I've told you in our pre-call, which not all produce people eat produce, <laughs> You know, so I think it's great that we found each other. Seriously. I know. I love it. And Dino Cardelli is the best. 
One of the things that I love about him is I'm not really a culinary type of person. My meals are very quick and easy. And he actually makes legitimate recipes and sends me the pictures, the ingredients, and the directions for me to post online so people actually think that I cook myself. Oh, stop. Oh, my goodness. I know your secrets. I know them now. Well, you know, Dino <laughs> Dino did reach out and he's like, hey, I heard you're going to have my friend on your podcast. <laughs> And then he was like, when's my spot? And I was like, Dino, we got an open spot for you, you know, anytime. And that, that's what it's about, though. It's it's about the community that we build together, you know, coming, you know, from all the way back. You know, you and I are the same age and, you know, go back to that American online when we first were, you know, I would say becoming teenagers. It was like, I don't know what we should do with this compared to now this community gets built online and then all of a sudden you get to meet in person and it's kind of like that warm transfer because you meet online or on LinkedIn and then when you see each other in person you're like it's so great to finally be here and meet you so I think it's cool that the community you know brought us together that's what I'm going to say the LinkedIn community brought us together and Dino had nothing but great things to say about you and so that's what I want to get into I want to talk about that is you know you've got your own practice down in Miami and, you know, I'll let you kind of get on that. I always say, let's give our listeners, you know, that 30,000 foot overview if we were to meet on the plane and, and you, know, you, you started chatting it up. So please, Michelle, the floor is yours. You know, let's talk about your practice and that overview of what you have going on. Awesome. Now, I just wanted to real quick here comment on something that you just mentioned, which is not all people within produce actually eat produce. And I'll say not all people in healthcare are actually healthy. It's the same exact thing. And I learned that over my training, being within kind of that healthcare community is so much of what we do is so unhealthy, whether we are on a 28 hour call and we're not sleeping, you know, whether it's we've kind of neglected ourselves in this whole concept of self-care because we're working our butts off and we're studying for board exams and we're taking care of other people that oftentimes ourselves are the last people that actually get that self-care attention. And when it comes to food, it's so incredibly important because what we end up eating oftentimes is whatever is available in the snack room at the nurse's station or in the dining hall at 2 a.m. when it's literally just vending machine types of food. So it kind of comes, you know, really affects all industries, produce, healthcare, you name it, it affects everyone. So with my practice, you know, one of the reasons why I went into gastroenterology is because I loved nutrition and studying the gut. And I figured if I went into the GI specialty, I would learn the power of food and how it can really act as medicine. And sadly, you know, it took me 14 years worth of medical training. During my 14th year was the first time I actually learned how to talk to someone about what are they eating on a typical day and what are their goals and how can we develop a strategy to allow them to you know, live their best life. And it was actually because I sought mentorship outside of my own fellowship program through an endocrinologist. So it's just crazy how things have happened the way they are. You know, and the other thing I learned that within healthcare, a lot of it is sick care, unfortunately. So I ended up starting my own practice where my twin sister and I can truly build a practice where we focus on prevention and the foundation that it all comes down to eating good quality food, moving our bodies. And that is truly the foundation for overall health and wellness. Uh, you're so right. And it's so true because just like you said, you know, the medical profession, it's you're you're taking care of sick people. And you're right. People think, well, if you are, you're a doctor and what you're telling me, you should be preaching, right? 
no difference than if you sold cucumbers and you didn't eat cucumbers. Like, how do you sell cucumbers if you don't even know what cucumbers taste like, right? That's really big. And we have a lot of people in our industry that we do. They're at the markets. I mean, some of these produce markets, they open at 2 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, when that happens, what's open at 2 a.m. in the morning? We know those 24-hour fast food spots are always open. But is that something you want to put in your body? And and I've gone on a kick. I've told you, you know, since 2008, I had my gallbladder removed. I had a small piece of my stomach kind of shaved off of this H. Pride Lori that I had that you know about. And But it was causing me so much issues because when I grew up, Michelle, I mean, I could still, gosh, I would have flashbacks of my, my, my life, right? Like it was mom's meatloaf. It was hamburgers on Friday. It was beef stroganoff. It was kielbasa and such. Like, do you hear anything else besides beef in what I just told you? Like, that's what I grew up on. And I just remember it always made my stomach hurt growing up. And I just remember when I was a kid in the 80s and the 90s, you had to finish your plate if you wanted to get up from the dinner table. So it's like I always kind of force fed some of this stuff to myself. And I realized... When I got older and got to choose what I got in my body, right? I went to a gastroenterologist and then they started to realize like, yeah, some of the things that you're putting in your body, your body doesn't want to digest. And beef was one of them. You know, I know you know this, but beef obviously has a bacteria in it and then your gallbladder and your stomach digest it. Well, my body wasn't digesting it. So I would throw up. I would have diarrhea. Yeah, that's right. Everybody. We're getting a little personal. It's okay. <laughs> but that's what happened to me. And my wife was like, something's going on. I would get cold sweats. It all had to do with what I was putting in my body. And and let's not forget, if you were to get my mom on the phone, my mom would be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how Patrick eats today is completely different how Patrick ate over 10 plus years ago. But I started to change because my body just wasn't having it. So I think the, as you talk about, and we're going to get into a little more, that power of food is medicine. I just feel it's so true because as I put non-processed foods in my body, I feel better in the morning when I wake up, when I put fruits and vegetables, even now, I mean, dairy, certain dairies, I'm lactose free. I do almond milk. All of that has changed the way how regular I am, or if I throw up, right? I don't drink alcohol anymore because my body doesn't like the yeast in beer. So let's talk about that power because I think people don't realize that you will feel, I'm going to say a million times better if you really chose what you put in your body. Yeah, man, you touched on a lot there. And I'll start with, you know, as our bodies get older, we become less and less tolerant of what we were able to eat when we were younger. You know, so a lot of patients will show up to my office and they say, Doc, I used to be able to eat pizza at 10 o'clock at night with a couple beers, wake up and feel fine. And now I wake up and I feel awful. Doc, what's wrong with my body, right? So I do a million dollar workup, do an endoscopy, a colonoscopy, get the biopsies. And I'd say, hey, Billy, great news. Everything's normal. And Billy would say, well, what do you mean? But I don't feel normal. And Really, you know, at the end of the day, although we obviously want to do our due diligence and make sure we're not missing anything that's abnormal and requires certain treatments, usually we don't have an answer. We don't have a diagnosis. And then we have to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, there's no diagnosis, but clearly this patient doesn't feel normal. And a lot of it comes down to what we're putting in our body on a daily basis. But what I have learned is that what is equally as important as what we eat is how we eat. 
how much we eat, how we feel when we're eating, how late we eat, how fast we eat. You know, all of those dietary habits are so critical. But Patrick, let me ask you, whoever taught you any of those concepts, who taught you what is good, wholesome food to contribute to your overall health versus disease? Who taught you when should we be eating? How much should we be eating? How late should we be eating? Who taught you any of that? I know when you learned it through trial and error because you were sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. Correct. And those are the patients that show up to me is they're looking for an answer and we do our due diligence. You know, a lot of times it comes back to how are we feeding our bodies? And I think a lot of people have just been in a rut for so long. They truly don't remember what it feels like to feel good. And folks, it's possible. It is so possible. It's about making that next right decision. You're so right. And I can tell you, Google has been teaching me right over the years because that's what I would do. Something would feel weird in my body, right? I have this pinch in my lower right side and I would Google. And yes, uh, last night, I will tell you, was one of those nights where I ate late because, you know, kids get out of sports and all these extra factors were in play. And I told my wife, I was like, oh my gosh, I had heartburn all night last night. And it was normal food that I ate, but I ate too late. Uh, And then I went and laid down. So I didn't give my body time to even process that food. It was like, okay, I have to hurry up and eat. And then I got to go to sleep because I have to wake up and I've got daily life ahead of me. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of times it was, I don't want to feel like this. What do I need to do? And then obviously getting into the doctor and, and having that issue with my gallbladder and my stomach forced it a little bit more and being more conscious about what I ate. I, I think that was one of the biggest things. And I know when we spoke last week, I told you I'm in a clean eating challenge. And, you know, people are like, why are you in a clean eating challenge? And I get this all of the time, Michelle, you're so skinny. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like if you hear, I'm going to be real with you right now. Telling someone they're so skinny is no difference than telling somebody that they're fat. Okay. And I love my body and I appreciate it. It's taken me years, but I have been between 155 and 165 my entire life. Yes, I'm skinny. And I'm also married into a Hispanic family and Hispanics like to eat. They like to have a lot of food and rice and beans. And when they party, they party heavily and they drink and that's okay, right? But I said to myself, I don't want to feel that way. I'm not going to feel that way. No difference than I had a buddy tell me the other day, I'm going to get you to have a beer with me. So he, he kept telling me and I said, I'm not going to because beer does not fit well with my body and I don't want my body to feel like that. I said, has nothing to do that I'm totally against it. It has to do with what I want to feel like waking up the next day. And as I'm approaching 40, no, I'm good. I need to wake up and be on point at all times, not trying to find Tums or or Prevacid or something to counteract the bad things that I just put in my body. Yeah. And believe it or not, I have that shared experience where when people look at someone who eats healthy on a daily basis, someone assumes that there's something wrong with you or that you're restricting yourself and having some sort of inner turmoil. And I'll tell you, nothing feels better than waking up, going to the gym, feeling energized, doing whatever I want to do and not having my health hold me back. Nothing feels better than that. You know, particularly as people get older and they develop, you know, financial freedom and they want to travel the world and do all these different things. 
For many people, the only thing that holds them back is their health. And I refuse to let that happen to me. And I understand that it's the decisions I make today that will impact my later years and what I'm able to do and not do. And staying independent as long as possible is key in that. So I think, you know, with our culture and our environment, people like you and me are considered oftentimes abnormal. And the people who gorge at a buffet or go on a cruise and they're going, you know, eating at 12, you know, at night and then drinking a ton of alcohol, that's considered, you know, in America, normal, which is crazy to me. And we have to shift that mindset because with all the technology and innovation, and medical advances, we have more obesity today than we've ever had. We have more chronic illness, more autoimmune conditions, more metastatic cancer in young individuals without a genetic predisposition. And it's environmental. It's the food we're eating. It's the highly refined ingredients. We have to change it because our healthcare system is broken and it's only getting worse. It's so true. I mean, it is so true. And I believe it, it was you that said it to me last week when you said there's so many people that retire and then they die within you know five or 10 years of their retirement because of their health, because of their bodies. It's almost like work was keeping them alive because it was like they had something to do. So they were constantly just keep moving, keep going. And then when they got to a point where now it's, in this relaxation mode, but they're still having the same diet as they did before. Well, their metabolism's changing, right? The environment that they're living in is changing. And I know we, we want to talk about this and, and a poor diet that, as you've said, can lead to chronic disease and your lifespan being decreased over the years. And everybody wants to, I say, not live forever, but many people don't say, oh, I want to live for 40 years and I'm good with that. No, they want to enjoy life. And I love what you said, right? I want to have that independency to be able to say, no, I'm going to be able to do this because why? I know I can. Exactly. And it's decisions we make today that will impact how we live the last 10 years of our life. I love what Peter Atia says in his podcast where he talks about the marginal decade, the last 10 years of our life. We don't know when that 10 years is going to start. When we're in it, we feel it. We know we're in it, right? And for most, those last 10 years are a painful 10 years. But Patrick, what if I told you that the last 10 years of her life could be a beautiful 10 years? It could be so amazing, right? But we can't wait until we're 70 to say, okay, now it's time. Now I have the time to take care of myself. Because if we're not eating enough protein, if we're not eating the fruits and veggies and whole grains and nuts and seeds, and we're not providing our microbiome with good dietary fiber and good sources of protein, we lose muscle. And muscle really is the key to our longevity and our independence. Wow. And that's amazing. I mean, I, I just, and like I said, learned something new right away. And I've been trying to get on that kick of eating, I would say more nuts, more proteins, more seeds, like flaxseed, putting in your, you know, even shakes in the morning. I do, I do shakes, I do juice. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more in the second half. And as we get into the second half, you know, we're going to talk about investing in your health, right? And what is mindful eating? I'll talk a little bit about one of the clean eating challenges that I'm in and why I joined that versus where I wanted to be today, but where I wanted to be in the future. And that's what you were saying. My goal is if I don't start today, where am I going to be when I'm 50? Or better yet, with someone like me who travels so much, I'm that guy that I'm bringing, you know, oranges on a plane. I'm, I'm bringing bananas on a plane because do you get fruits and vegetables on an airplane? Very rarely do you do because they stop serving so much if it's shorter flights or, or 
first class only gets certain items and the, the you know the coach class only gets pretzels and soda only right so there's a lot of things that our economy our demographics right our geographic location determines what you can eat too where you are will really determine that. And being on a plane, like you can't say, you know, do you have any bananas back there? Because they don't. We already know they don't. And they might in, in first class, but I always don't fly first class when I'm flying. I do a few times a year and I do get that luxury. But even in first class, they're giving you potato chips. They're giving you things that aren't what you need while you're traveling. And then you wonder why people come back from work trips, Michelle, and go, huh. Oh, I'm so tired. I just, you know, I, I need another two days to recover. And it's like, what do you mean? Like, what, what do you mean you need a couple two days to recover? Well, and it's not just traveling. I think it's just like the holidays. So I've had, you know, many patients and friends and family where, you know, they'll say, okay, it's the holidays. For a lot of people, it starts around Halloween and then oh. ends like, you know, the first or second week of January. And the holidays come multiple, numerous times a year, every year. And so if we put our life on hold and put our health on hold for sometimes months at a time and think our body is going to be able to maintain a healthy weight and feel good and feel well rested and reduce inflammation, but then we go on benders for weeks at a time when we travel, it's like we got to wake up and smell the roses here. Our body does not work like that. And if we take several weeks off and eat all the candy in the world, thinking that, you know, we're never going to find candy again and we got to eat whatever's in front of us it's really setting ourselves up for disaster you know because as we get older our hormones change and for women going through menopause they are gaining you know over a pound per year during those years and once you put on those 10 pounds to try to get it off it's very challenging as we get older it's not like when we were 20. I see it. No, I see it in a lot of my friends. My wife even had some heart issues about a year and a half ago and you know she was in the hospital you know, for about a week. And it was the food that they served in the hospital. It blew my mind how, what they gave her and and even what they gave me. So everyone, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of those hospital visit foods and then investing, you know, in your health, mindful eating and gut health and immunity. So we'll be right back. Discover Orchard Freshness on Amazon Fresh with Arctic Apple Slices. Arctic Apple stays orchard fresh longer than other prepackaged, pre-sliced apples. This means less waste and no more half-eaten apples. Plus, you'll love the undeniable freshly picked flavor. Arctic Apple Slices are available in convenient grab-and-go bags in both Arctic Golden or Arctic Granny varieties in select markets on Amazon Fresh. Packable, snackable, 100% irresistible. JGLC, the place to be, a third-generation, family-owned and operated asset-based company. Throughout their 60 years in business, integrity, reliability, and loyalty to their customers has remained their top priority. JGLC guarantees 24-7 communication with your personal logistics coordinator. They offer competitive pricing without sacrificing services. They operate throughout the United States and Canada. JGLC's customers count on them for dependability and dedication carried out on every order, every time. 60 years of service for all your trucking needs. Visit them at jglc.com for your custom quote. 
Welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast, everyone. It's always great to hear from Dynamite sponsors, creating dynamite content for the produce and supply chain industry. Today, we have Dr. Michelle Perlman on the line, gastroenterologist, talking all things food is medicine. So if you're just joining us, we learned about her practice, we learned about food is medicine, and we learned about how to really extend your own shelf life, everyone. So Dr. Perlman, welcome back. Thank you, Patrick. And I love that line, our own shelf life. Man, does that resonate? That's going to be a frame in your (laughs) office going forward. It's going to say, let's extend your shelf life. Okay. Like that is a true statement, but we're talking in the first half, we talked about that longevity and it's so true because in my world, the produce industry, we're looking to extend produce shelf life because of food waste. And there are ways that we do that with certain sprays that we can put on the outside of an orange, nothing that's affecting the actual quality of the fruit. But there's also like linen bag that you can use to put your produce in that keeps a longer shelf life. We try to extend shelf life in so many things. But why not extend our own shelf life? So let's talk about investing in your health through mindful eating. I want you to touch on that. Yeah. So let's go back to when we were babies, you know, or even when we're in the womb, we're eating whatever our mother's eating, you know, and that affects our health even when we're in utero. Then, you know, when we're babies, we're given food and milk or whatever whenever we cry, you know, and the only way that people learn to soothe us when we're crying is what do they do? They feed us, right? So every time we're upset, we get food or beverage. And so as we get older, when we're in school, we get breakfast, we get lunch, we get a snack time, we get dinner. We're told when to eat and what to eat, whether or not we're actually hungry. And if we don't eat, we're told, you know, finish whatever's on your plate. Otherwise, you don't get dinner. So these dietary habits are ingrained in our brain from when we're babies. So how, as an adult, are we supposed to get out of these eating behaviors and poor habits? It's very challenging. The hardest part about my job is teaching grown adults that what we think are normal eating behaviors are actually making the majority of us very ill. So we hear this term mindfulness all the time. Patrick, what does mindful eating mean to you? I would say what the the conscious decision of what you're going to be eating, the times you're going to be eating. And I would say... I always go back to that pyramid, right? Of, you know, what levels of the pyramid are you eating? I know that pyramid changes all the time, but that's how I look at mindful eating. It's do I go grab the gummy snacks or do I go grab the orange? Do I bring potato chips on the airplane with me or do I bring the banana? So my mindful eating is if it can't last in my bag for 24 hours, then that's what I want to bring with me. That's what I want to put in my body. Yeah, so it starts with, obviously, it always starts in the brain. You know, often within healthcare, we talk about the brain and the body like they're two separate entities, and that's complete hogwash, okay? The brain and the body are so interconnected. Whatever is going on up here affects every organ in our body. Whatever is going in our body affects the signals back to our brain. So it all starts with our mind and first understanding what is true hunger? You know, so many of us feel this uncomfortable sensation of hunger and we think it's for food. And so the easiest way to get rid of that discomfort is we eat something with high fructose corn syrup or, you know, some salty chips because that makes us feel good. You get that dopamine release. But many times it's not actually true food hunger. It's hunger for something else, whether it's companionship, stress reduction, sleep, you know, something other than food. So it really comes down to, are we truly hungry for food 
Were we hungry for something else? Identifying that is is really key. Then it's really mindfulness during the act of eating. I don't know about you, but I know I shovel food into my face, right? In between patients. That's just what I learned to do. Mind, you know, eating really starts first in the brain when you look at your food and digestion starts in the mouth when you chew, you know? So when we chew our food, that's where digestion starts. You get the release of enzymes. Then the food bolus travels into your stomach, further digestion occurs, and then you get absorption of nutrients. But if we're just inhaling food into our mouth and we're not chewing the food properly, we're now contributing to maldigestion. And now, even if we are eating produce and healthy items, if we're not allowing for proper digestion, we're now going to get malabsorption. So although, you know, the majority of people, let's say in America, are overweight or obese, many even overweight and obese individuals are malnourished. And even people of normal weight, you know, we're eating so many calories, but our calories, because it's so highly processed, doesn't contain those nutrients but we're also not allowing for proper digestion absorption. So it's pretty simple. It can get a a hell of a lot more complicated, but that's what I look at mindfulness is, are we having a strategy on what we're eating? Are we identifying if we're truly hungry? And then in the act of eating, are we actually eating properly? I I mean, it makes sense. and, And that's why I joined this clean eating challenge back in October. One, the industry put out this clean eating challenge a few years ago, and I was kind of skeptical. I was like, hmm. I'm like, what's this about? I'm like, I don't need to lose weight. I don't need to, you know, there were certain things that I was looking at. And since I've joined, my wife is like, you've 100% changed the way you snack is what she told me. And I said, really? I said, how so? She goes, because again, I have three kids. And again, as kids are growing up too, they learn what they want. You can't force your kid to eat anything. And I've realized that over the years that my daughter will eat certain items, but she also has sensory processing. So You know, maybe an orange to me looks amazing, but the pith to her doesn't. So she might not eat it because she sees the pith. So maybe she wants that fruit cup of those tiny mandarins instead. Now, obviously, by doing that, obviously, they've got preservatives in it. They're still mandarins, but it's not the same of eating, you know, a fresh, you know, piece of citrus. So those are things that my wife said, she goes, you stop snacking how sometimes we give the kids snacks because again, now uh, my son, he'll try any piece of produce. He's one of those kids where he's like, what's that? Give it to me. He'll try it. If he doesn't like it, he'll be like, that's not for me, but you know, I tried it. Right. But my daughter is like, no, I don't want to smell that. I don't want to touch that get that away from me. And so again, that mindful thinking now has been when I go to get the kids a snack, I always ask, hey, do you want oranges? Do you want blueberries, right? What do you want? I start to ask that question first. Obviously, I want to give them uh, healthy alternatives, but no, I also got to put food in their body as my daughter's doctor said with a sensory processing, we got to make sure she gets protein. We got to make sure we can't just have her eating mini muffins all day long. We got to make sure she gets these items. So that's one thing that since I've joined this clean eating challenge is that my mindfulness has gone to maybe I get the kids something like a bag of nuts or some protein granola and then I'll go ahead and put a bowl of yogurt together with blueberries in it cut up some strawberries, and then put some granola on top. So my snacking has 100% changed to how I snack, when I snack, 
And it actually makes me feel a heck of a lot better. And my wife also said to me, she goes, I think that's why you're maintaining your weight now. Because before my weight would range from 155 to 165 all the time. And it, and it really depended on how I ate. Now I am a clear like 155 to 158. And she goes, I think that a lot of that has to do with now and, and what you're putting in your body. I've seen you change the way you snack. And I think snacking is one of the biggest issues. I want you to touch on that real quick. And I have another question about eating to get full or eating, you know, to just keep eating. But, you know, what are your thoughts yeah. on those snacking opportunities? Well, I think convenient food has become way too convenient, where for many people, food is always around us and we feel this urge to eat it if it's sitting there, you know? So we have to figure out, are we really hungry, but make it less convenient? So for instance, we can have fruit on the table, but, you know, let's say leave a bowl of apples unwashed, you know, or have like the clementines or whatever, where you go to the fruit bowl and you say, you know, am I really hungry? And if you are, then you'll take the effort to unpeel the orange or the clementine or whatnot. But the last thing we want to do is when we're craving something sweet to have a bowl of candy that requires no effort and to us, you know, to just put our hand into into that M&M bowl, let's say, and grab a handful of M&Ms. We need to have at least some effort involved so that we can actually ask ourselves, are we truly hungry? And are we going to put the energy and time into preparing that snack? But we don't want to make it too difficult, right? So, you know, easy snacks that also take a little bit of effort would be, let's say, baby carrots and like a pack of hummus or something, right? You got to take the carrots out of the bag, maybe put it on a plate, you know, take the tinfoil off the top of the snack pack of hummus. Still doesn't require that much effort, but it still requires a little bit more effort in time than just putting our hand in the candy bowl. Ripping that piece of candy. Mm-hmm. I love the, I love that you said that we are, we're a huge hummus family and we never used to be. That is one of the things my daughter does love. I was able to convince my daughter of hummus. So she will have me actually cut sweet peppers up into like sticks. Mm-hmm. And then she loves di- dipping it in hummus and or ranch. That, that was a win for me. That was like a total win when my wife was like, who got her to eat that? I was like, I don't know. Let's just pretend. Let's not say anything. Okay. She's still eating it. But one of the other things, and you mentioned it is like grazing too, is kind of how I look at when the food just sitting there is that you just, you graze sometimes because you're bored. Uh, what am I doing? Oh, hey, look, there's a brownie sitting there. They've been there for two days. We better finish those up, you know? you know. And as a, uh, I, I don't want to say like as a skinny person, I, I would just say as a well-maintained, balanced uh, person, I go out to dinners with some of these people and I get sometimes ridiculed that I don't finish everything on my plate. But I tell people I'm I'm full and I don't want to overeat. And I get so much crap for that, Michelle. And, and again, ready? There are insecurities kick in sometimes because then I'm sitting at dinner like I'm the only one not eating right now, but I'm full. And my gastroenterologist has told me too, like if you do keep overeating, your stomach does start to expand, right? And then you're going to eat more. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, if I'm full, then I'm full. Why am I going to keep eating? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So here in America, we eat until we're full versus other places. We eat until we feel satisfied, you know? So at the end of the day, we, you know, when we eat, we should feel good and energized after eating fuel for our body. We have to kind of go back to the drawing board and ask ourselves if every time I eat, I don't feel well. 
something has to change because whatever we're doing is just not working out. We should be feeling better after we eat. Okay. So food truly is fuel. And if you have, let's say a Porsche or another nice sports car, are you going to put the wrong fuel in the car? No, you're going to damage the car. We need to look at the same mentality when it comes to our body. The only body we're ever going to have. We can't just trade it out for a new car like we do a car, right? We can't just trade out our body. Why is our health and the fuel that we put in our body any different? I mean, it's crazy to me. But we as healthcare providers, it's it's definitely partly our fault because, you know, has a doctor ever, you know, asked you, let's say a primary care doctor, when you go in, usually those annual visits are, are you up to date on your colonoscopy? You know, are you up to date on your prostate screening? Do you wear your seatbelt? Are you wearing your sunscreen? How often is the conversation more than just, are you eating a balanced diet? You know, how often does a doctor ask their patient, okay, you eat a balanced diet, take me through a typical day. And then the patient will say, I have coffee. Then I ask, what are you putting in your coffee? How many cups of coffee? How late do you drink your coffee, right? The granular detail actually does matter. But oftentimes within the typical healthcare system, we are not having these conversations. Wow. It's it's amazing to, to hear this. And I hope everybody, as you're listening to this, you're starting to understand you know, a mindful thinking and making conscious decisions of what you're putting in your body. Now, there is a, a big critical role of the gut as it's the body's largest immune organ. And I, I think you've talked about a, a lot about what you're putting in there. Let's discuss that gut health and immunity, you know, for our listeners. As we start to wrap up this episode, you know, what can we tell them about, you know, again, managing your Porsche? I mean, this is a Porsche. Not Listen, none of us have Pintos, okay, everyone? Everybody, I mean, you were born into this world. And someone told me this the other day before I let you get on to the gut health and immunity is they said, and again, we're, we're talking, I would say we're talking doctor talk and physician talk here. You know, millions of sperm is released uh, into a woman's body. And as soon as that happens, the woman's body is attacking and you are a winner. They say that you're the winner. No, no, no. You're a warrior. You fought your way all the way through another body. So you, there's no pintos here. You were born as a blessed miracle, right? So I, I look at what you just said, like, yeah, all of our bodies are Porsches. And I think that we need to make that decision and have that, I would say, that mental clarity to say, let's keep putting the right fuel. Because if you had a car that took ethanol only and you put regular gas in it, it wouldn't start. It, it it really wouldn't. So we also have to look at that. I love that you said that about you as not being able to trade your body in. There's one of you. There was millions of other that could have been you, but it wasn't. It is you and you have this special body and you have one of it. So let's talk about that gut health and immunity. I want to throw that out to you because I heard that the other day and obviously it made sense because I'm like, oh, you're the winner. No, it's like you're a warrior in your own sense. <laughs> to be able to get to this point, And now you've got this beautiful body to take care of. And we can't expect, you know, the car maintenance person to take care of our car, right? We have to do it ourselves. We have to take accountability because no one is going to do it for us. Very and we true. often as patients think if it's important to the doctor, the doctor will bring it up. And as a healthcare provider, we assume if it's important to you as the patient, you'll bring it up. And oftentimes the most important conversations never come up. They don't. I I agree with you because I just did my yearly physical. My insurance changed and I had to do that physical. They asked you more about depression on those checklists. They ask, I maybe think there's one item that says, 
how are you eating, you know, but it's nothing of the level to the things that we just spoke about, but they care more about your mindset, your depression, what's hurting, you know, like you said, because it's taking care of sick people, not taking care of healthy people. It's just insane to see that we as a society don't ask those questions. We don't think about them ourselves until we go, oh, I got to go to the doctor. My stomach has been killing me for a week. And normally we let ourselves hurt for a week or so, maybe, or even longer before we even get into the doctor. Yeah. And when you mentioned depression and mental health and pain, would you believe me if I told you that nutrition has such a powerful role on how we feel and also pain, right? So we can do screening questionnaires to see whether or not you have depression or you have arthritis and you're in pain. But if we know that nutrition affects that, and when we eat whole food, plant-based food, that anti-inflammatory foods, that that improves our gut microbiome, right? Our, our largest immune organ, our intestines, that sends signals back to our brain and makes us feel good. And when we eat poorly, that actually can contribute to issues like anxiety and depression. Or when we talk about pain, pro-inflammatory diets, high fructose corn syrup, okay, or fried foods that increases total body inflammation that causes pain. So I can ask a patient if they're having pain, but then why am I not addressing some of the underlying issues on why they have systemic arthritis, right? So there's so many questionnaires that pop up that we're just bombarded with. But at the end of the day, we as healthcare providers need to step up and provide the tools for people to make better decisions. We cannot assume that people know what to do. I agree with that because I didn't know what to do. And more and more now when I go to my doctor and it's always funny because I, my wife and I, we always laugh about this. I do work out. I do competitive jujitsu. And it's crazy because what you eat will determine sometimes what your body looks like. I cannot work out for a month and I'll still have a six pack. And and it's funny because my wife's like, I hate you, but I also <laughs> laugh because what I, you put in your body will determine your gut. And I tell a lot of people that the nutrients that you put in, right? If you're eating dragon fruit, if you're eating these things that actually improve gut health, right? Then your body will show that too. If you're eating tons of processed foods, if you're eating Pop-Tarts every morning, if you're, you know what I mean? If you're eating all of these foods that are just processed and bags of chips, they create this dad bod like thing that they came up with. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have the dad bod. Like to, to have a dad bod, I say like uh, is, is what I have, which is having kids, having a family and making the decision to what I put in my body is going to affect the rest of my life versus, oh, I'm just going to eat this because I'm too busy. I don't have time to eat this because I, I have kids. And it's creating an excuse. So now we've got this version of what a dad bod should look like. And it's not even true because if you just made that mindful decision or conscious decision of what you put in your body, it could change that. And my doctor said that to me one time when, when she was feeling on my stomach, she was like, very hard. I, and you know what I mean? And I, and I laughed and I was like, I go, she, but she knows me. She's like, you, I know how you eat, but she, she kind of made that laugh and comment to me because again, you don't have to work out a hundred percent to get fully ripped because I know a lot of people that work out a lot and they'll never have abs in their life because they still eat those processed foods. They only drink the protein shakes. I even say that has a big part 
of even how your physical features look. Oh, 100%. When we talk about metabolism, most people think it just has to do with the thyroid. And then we check the thyroid and inevitably it's typically normal. We're learning more and more with the evidence that our microbiome actually plays a critical role in our metabolism, in the calories that we're extracting from our food. And in order to populate a healthy gut microbiome, we have to eat good food because whatever we eat, our bacteria eat. You know, so we got to eat good food to populate a wide diversity of bacteria so that they treat our body well, because we got billions of them living within us, you know, and when we're put on antibiotics or we get a dog, you know, it's constantly changing. But if our nutrition is consistently, for the most part, a good one, the microbes will take care of us. It is a symbiotic relationship. But if we feed our gut microbes poor quality of food, they will turn against us. And that's what really leads to chronic disease. I love it. I love it. You know, one more thing I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to let you close this out with some recommendations to to our listeners. I went to a farmer's craveable dinner a few weeks back. It was a nine course meal. I was so scared to sign up for this because I was like, I don't think I can eat nine courses. And everything was farm raised from the chicken to the pork, to the cow, to all the vegetables and flowers were all grown on this property. Nothing was processed. The chef actually would go, you know, he slaughtered the pig, the chickens, all before this event. I was able to eat all nine courses and I didn't feel bloated or full. I even got to the dessert and was able to eat it. And it was actually a juicy crunch tangerine chocolate cake, a really thin one. It was so amazing. And my wife and I even woke up the next morning Michelle, not like, oh my God, I'm so starving. We were satisfied still from the night before and we ate from 6 p.m. all the way to 10.30 p.m. for this dinner, but it was so amazing and every plate was balanced that came out. And I just, to me, it was was just, just an experience to say the least. And I remember the chef said, he said, if chefs in corporate America were able to do what they were taught in culinary school, restaurants would be better off and they'd sell more food. So I love it. I had a great time. I mean, I know I shouldn't be eating that late at night, but you know, I don't do that every night, but it was just, it was just a great, like I said, a full farmer's farmer's dinner. So as we leave everybody, you know, what would you give them to take away from just the episode or just, you know, telling them to take care of their Porsche, right? (laughs) We have incredible control over our life. As much as we feel like there's so many stressors and external pressures and things that are out of control, there are things we can control. It's about creating that safe environment where we have good choices around us, positive people, a supportive community. It's about making the next right decision, not all perfect decisions. And we have incredible control over the trajectory of our life, you know, And what I'll leave everyone with is we'll either invest in our wellness today or you're going to invest in your sickness later. And the choice is truly yours. So true. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on. Everyone, Dr. Michelle Perlman. And as I say, we'll see you in the fields and on the horizon. You've been listening to the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Produce Industry Podcast. Until next time, see you in the fields or on the horizon.